Welcome to Mostly Talk, a podcast about business or an excuse to hear from some interesting people. We'll leave that up to you. Find out more at mostly.consulting. Thanks for tuning in to Mostly Talk. It's James Bruce, the podcast host here. This week, we're talking to Joe Foster, who was born in the 30s, believe it or not, and he is the co-founder of Reebok. Uh, so I've caught up with Joe a few times during lockdown to discuss his life story uh, and what he did with the brand that is Reebok to, and he built it up over 30 years to be bigger than Nike. Uh, so I've talked to, to Joe about lots of things about Reebok's backstory, about his mindset as an improver, uh, about his book, um, about his running with Tyson Fury, uh, about the changing in industry, about the resilience of the sports industry. And uh, yeah, what's next for Joe Foster too? So thanks for listening. Appreciate any reviews, comments, uh, and subscriptions online. Uh, and have a have a good day. Go, I think. Well, let's to put your camera on. Camera, 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 camera. There we go. Hi, Julie. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Hi, James. Yeah, good yourself. See you well. Yeah. Well, well, is he? He's well-ish. Ish. He's got sciatica. <laughs> oh. And uh, is it something you're prone to, or is it just a? No, no. no. This is this is right. I've been trying to keep fit, too fit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I don't know where to pick this up, but it's very painful. Yeah. However. It's only painful really when I move or if I sit down too long. Too long. But apart from that, do you do fine. My yeah. uh, mother-in-law was like uh, uh, acupuncture and stuff. Are you into all that alternative malarkey or? Well, we're gonna get we're gonna get a scan first. <laughs> okay, when quite right. Scan. I think yeah. but then we'll decide whether because other people have suggested acupuncture as well. That's right. And yes. my daughter swears by it for everything. So yeah. so we you might both, have to look at that after we've um, after we've had the scan and we know exactly. Perhaps what's going on? You're both looking well, at least, though. You're you're in good humour, are you? You didn't, you didn't see him yeah. half an hour ago before he's been. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will leave you to it. <laughs> Keep taking the pills. That's where it is, indeed. I wrote down four things that I was quite keen to talk to you about. Okay, if that was okay. So was the first one, I love your book again. So I've been promoting your book as much as possible, trying to trying to help you out a bit. I think it's a great book. Oh wow, thanks. Good. You know, there's two, a few things in it. Is the that improver mindset, I think everyone should have that improver mindset. And you had it from a young age, right? Right, yes. <laughs> Just by chance or did you, was it like a, an insecurity or a, I don't know, a, a trait that you saw in your grandfather perhaps that you... I don't think it came from grandfather because we didn't know that much about grandfather. It's funny, isn't it? You know, we, we work in the business, your parents are there, father and whatever. You, you know that grandfather started the business, fine, fine, fine. But you don't get the story. In fact, we, we, we were well into Reebok, well into Reebok before. We thought, come on, you know, let's, let's look back at our history. Let's really look at uh, who, who was Joe Foster? What did he do? And, and it's amazing what we found. Mm. I mean, I, I, have a, I have a stack of uh, papers, which are copies of the advertising he used to do in sort of the Manchester uh, Sporting Chronicle or whatever it was called. And you know, just one-liners and all things like, uh, you know, if, if you don't believe that uh, 
Foster's are the best shoes you've ever worn. We'll give you a hundred pounds. Wow. Yeah. In, in the early 1900s, you think, what? <laughs> Incredible. And, and courageous. And, and it's all what marketeers do today, I guess. It's, he had that years, decades, or decades ago, right? It's phenomenal. Well, it was. It was phenomenal. And, you know, we found out all these. I had a guy, he spent at least two years, maybe even three years, going through all the uh, the film stuff that they decided to put it all on film. And he went through all that and picked up on the literally smallest little adverts. But, you know, and there were all these leading runners who were breaking world records, you know, and you just get a little thing. So-and-so broke the world record in whatever. But in, in those days, it didn't influence uh, the street. In those mm. days, you were influencing other athletes. Yes. And, and that was it. Uh, but, but it's quite amazing. So what we learned uh, from, uh, from grandfather was, uh, was, was something down the road. <clears throat> I guess it must have been in my DNA, though, to be inquisitive and to sort of challenge, you know, what are we doing? You know, why are we doing this? And to <clears throat> have a different mindset. I don't know why, but... Uh, and then, know, and then in science, do you get at sciences at school? Were you, were you so inquisitive about physics and chemistry and biology and stuff? Was that your domain? Well, <clears throat> we didn't do biology, surprisingly enough. I don't know why, but we did physics and uh, chemistry. And I love physics. Yeah. I thought physics was incredible, yes. I, uh, yeah, I, I could probably have <clears throat> followed a career with physics, but uh, never did. There you go. Yeah, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I think I've explained this story to you a bit. Like my my family's in farming business, and right. and uh, I've got three brothers, so it's all quite competitive. And you, I found my own way in life and did engineering. Yeah, um, and yep. I, I I didn't really regret that. I had a lot of fun and travelled like you and seen seen things and stuff. It was good. And I, it's just interesting the family legacy that you've got that that affiliation to sports was that just because you saw an opportunity and you are we really passionate about sports at the time when you're young I, I, I don't think I was passionate about sports at all <clears throat> my, my father wanted me to be a runner um and I was pretty quick but then again put spikes on your feet and nobody else has spikes you know I mean it, <laughs> it, we didn't do 100 meters well we did about 60 yards because we were youngsters but in 60 yards that, was, that probably gave me 10 yards Hmm. Yeah. So I was winning things, even that Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe without spikes, I wouldn't have won the Webster's Dictionary. So you know, you've got to go along all the channels of luck, for whatever it is. Uh, but sport, I, I like sport, yes. And uh, it's like, you know, I support Bolton Wanderers. And why do you support Bolton Wanderers? Because you're born there. Yes. You know, it's, it's a reason for doing it, you know. And I hate the idea that I support Bolton Wanderers because, you know, they, 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 they're not good. <laughs> they, need, they, they need to be better than that. So, you know, it's, it has to be Liverpool or Man United, but although I, I would support those. And I suppose, really, when, when you think about it, what happens is you support your local town, then you support what's in Lancashire, then probably what's in north of England, then what's in England. So yeah, you support whichever team is sort of nearest to your... Uh, affection as it were and yes. uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not a great watcher of uh, of sport i don't i don't watch football that much you know if there's nothing else on television yes football is probably okay but these days you get some good matches some bad matches i like watching um, rugby union yeah Although, same, same as me you got yeah. the i i've uh, i've had rugby in my roots since i was very young so <clears throat> I, my biggest uh Claim to fame, if you like, was I got to watch one of the last games of John, with John Olumu that he ever seen in his life. So I oh, sat right. in St. James's, yeah. St. James's Park in Newcastle and watched the World Cup with uh, John Olumu. Um, oh, yeah. with, 
so I've a really great honour to, to have done that and he sadly passed away two months later. So rugby union is my sport. I, I love it. Just the way the fans can spend time together and you might be an Englishman, but we can sit beside each other in the stadium and have a beer and a laugh and and right. it's 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 yeah. respectful. I, I like it. Um Obviously brutal as well in many other ways, but <laughs> yeah. it's, very, it's very brutal. It really is. It's uh, it's amazing. Uh, I, I once remember being at Twickenham watching England. I was invited by I don't know who it was now, some wing commander, whatever it was. <clears throat> I think it was in charge of um, I think it was the forces, the RAF rugby, whatever it is. Wow. <clears throat> and I was invited there, and we were on the front row, uh, and it was England versus France, and there was a scrum. No, I could have almost touched them. You know, we were that close. Yeah. <laughs> and when they say, "You know, it's not mine," when when they go together, you, you felt you felt the ground move. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, so you think, "Wow, you know, I, I'd probably survive five minutes in one of those." <laughs> That's about it. Particularly so, sciatica. It might sort you out your sciatica. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I admire these guys, and uh, I think they they're either very brave and very stupid to, to go into something so cruel. But I, you see it now, there's a lot of people, my dad said it, my dad's no longer alive, but he talked about the professional era of rugby. It's all weights and, and muscle. Mm. And then and then you see it now in players in their 30s that can't walk, you know? That's right. And it, yeah. it's bad, isn't it? It's, it's kind of, but then that's the life that they signed up for and it was inevitable. You're going to hurt your back if, you, if you're in those big scrums. But I don't know if the game needs changed a bit. I've kind of spoke to guys about it and they think that the rules maybe need to be more for flair players. And yeah. and you saw it with, I don't know, Scotland and Wales, they've had glimpses, Wales, Wales more so than Scotland, but just the, the passing rugby, the flair, the going for the gap stuff, that's yeah. what people want to see, right? Well, I like to see, I mean, the, 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 uh, the latest French team, I like to see a running game. I, I yeah. really like to see that. And these very clever passes where, you know, they... They, oh, they wow. know what they do, and somebody behind, and they just pass, flick it straight behind. It, that is incredible. <clears throat> I think the uh, the English team seem to be sort of um, I say, developing a game of just muscle, brawn, and just bang, bang, bang. And mm. uh, but that was a good game though that uh, that Scotland played. I mean, beating England because that, big. yeah, big. I mean it was a real, they had to play England in the way that England play, and I think that was you know it, it was good. They, they really sort of. Not well, whatever it was, England didn't start. They were just like, oh. it's the, anyway, it's, the joy it's of being the underdog, right? It's like Nike versus Reebok in a way. You had that, <laughs> you had your moment, <laughs> and there it was. Yeah, so anyway, there we go. You know, um, sport, yeah, I, I love sport, but uh, watching not too much, you know. I, yes, I might. Yeah. One of my greatest ambitions is to get to Twickenham now with you. That's my ambition. Oh, well, that would be good, isn't it? <laughs> to get down to Twickenham and uh, to get there on the front rows, that was incredible. To get right near the front is incredible. I mean, yeah. I've watched a final at Wimbledon, tennis final, but I was wow. way, 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 way back. And uh, it was a women's final, I think it was. I would have loved to have done the men's final. Maybe one of these ways we'll try and do that. <clears throat> but when you're way back, you don't really get that real feel. Mm. You know, and I think you need to get that something, you know, you almost feel as though you're, you're on that, you're, you're playing the ball, you know. You, yes. You yeah. And did, did Reebok, did they do better in tennis than in football? Or did, was that your, did you manage to, like the big sports that did it for you? You had the Athledge or Jane Fonda stuff, but obviously basketball yeah. was big. And 
They did pretty well in tennis, you know. They mm. they did better in tennis than football. Although they did they did sign up Liverpool, of course, at, uh, at one point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I think I think the biggest problem is is that the uh, it was the Americans that sort of wanted to uh, or, or started to sort of go into um, sport in general as against aerobics and fitness, and yes. but they they didn't sustain whatever they were doing. You know, they didn't really concentrate and get the right people in there. Uh, yes. I, I can't remember there being anybody. Uh, they, they had once somebody from Adidas who joined the company and sort of got them bit into soccer. But yeah. uh, they had a huge supermarket, if you remember, Paco, Paco in Spain. Oh, yes. They had a huge supermarket. <clears throat> they spoke to nearly half the... Julie's joining in the conversation now. Right. <laughs> she, she, she reminded me that Spain... Because Paco, the guy who, who was sort of Reebok Spain, as it were, he was really into his football. And they, they had uh, two or three of the top teams that were really into it, really big. But, you know, you need to bring it together. You know, you need something that sort of makes it work. And uh, I, I suggested that we should have a, a, a football academy in the UK. Wow. Get an academy in the UK. <clears throat> but, you know, they were too much into American football and uh, basketball. They were just too no. much into that. And somehow, somehow they lost that touch. I don't know what it was, but uh, yeah, the interesting thing is, though, they, it's now been, um, now been decided, I don't know if you've seen it in the latest uh, announcement, that Reebok will be sold. Yes. Uh, Adidas are definitely selling uh, Reebok. Yes. Again, is that, do you still have an emotional connection to that decision? Is it kind mm -hmm. of like, a, does it, you think about that a lot? It's a bit like supporting Bolton, isn't it? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what can you do with your baby you know you you've, you've got to be thinking yes this is a this is a superb opportunity now for for Reebok to sort of you know, grow again become something uh, I'll join the two big ones I mean it really is Nike and Adidas everybody else are also Rams um, but uh, <clears throat> it could well be it really depends upon the people who buy it and mm. what sort of uh influences they want if it's americans that they'll want to go into uh probably american football and uh, maybe basketball again and then the uh, classics sort of the retro stuff that you know people that reminisce about days gone by the uh, reebok pumps you know my wife was yeah. talking about that the other day it's yeah. like a you know it's a, you see that sort of trend in business now that you bring things things back from old oh yeah so, they're all, all doing the retro models definitely and, yeah. and i think uh, reebok have a lot of that I think there were a lot of retro models. And yes. of course, you know, you're looking at Shaq O'Neal and uh, Iverson, you know, some of the old players who now are becoming legend. So when they become legend, it helps because nobody, nobody really worries about the problems they had or the things they didn't do right. They all just, uh, it's the legend, remember that, whatever it is. Yes. <clears throat> so that's good. So uh, yeah, I, I have a good feeling. And as far as I'm concerned, yes, I still have that, uh, you know, we. We're up there. We we are going to win. You know, we're getting in there. Let's, let's get stuck in. So yes, it'll be it'll be interesting. Yes. To, Did you see uh, that? There was a nice snippet this week about Lego and Adidas have got a trainer that they've brought out. So it's like a, a trainer that's it's like a, a Lego piece on it. It's Lego branded. It's like oh, a brand right. affiliation stuff. So it kind of yeah. essentially is the same with what game you played. You affiliate yourself with big brands, whether it's a sports team or a runner. And specifically, it's it's quite it's a clever tactic, isn't it? Because you complement each other. Yeah, I mean, I think this this happens now wherever you are in, in whatever way. Even cars do it these days. They they associate with people, and, and it's that association 
that really helps and drives the market in these days. You know, it's yes. like anybody can produce the best car in the world. Brilliant, fantastic. But mm. unless it's got a right, the right name on it, unless it's got the right associations, it doesn't go anywhere. It's yes. as simple as that. <clears throat> I, I, I mean, Ford have the, the, the most brilliant sort of uh, racing car. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, they, they used to have it on, um, was it? I think Jeremy Clarkson used to have it on. And the thing used to be sat down when it was on, on the race. And then and you just press a switch and jump, up it would jump sort of thing, you know. Yes. I mean, the suspension, I mean, the money they could put into those things are incredible. And incredible. Uh, <clears throat> Who knows what the future is? I mean, we're all going to electric. I mean, that's that's for certain. And uh, yeah, there's. Uh, are you, do you follow? Do you follow? Like, um, I'm kind of. I was in oil and gas, so I've kind of got vested interest in in following that and the trends in energy and, like you say, electric cars is huge because it'll reduce the demand for petroleum if if well when it happens. Electric cars and there's hydrogen cars. There's a lot of talk of that. Jaguar Land Rover yeah. have got hydrogen car. South Korea have got so many hydrogen cars, as do I think Japan. So again, it's like uh, Betamax versus VHS. It's two technologies, <laughs> and yeah. it's it's fascinating to see how it'll pan out um, in the next well thirty years. They say for net zero requirements for for climate change. But I think electric seems to be winning. Yes, I think I think hydrogen uh, is a bit too expensive. I think they're finding that so, uh, and not quite as uh, easy to do as, as electric. There's there's videos and pictures of of uh, like vessels like a hydrogen vessel exploding even on a small oh, scale. It's catastrophic. Yeah. You know, you write off a car and a, a bloody train station in one go. You know, so I know everything. <laughs> yeah. What about? Uh, I'm I'm fascinated by, you know, you've got this unique position in that you've built a big brand. Uh, you've also followed industrial revolutions. You know, from I'm. I'm from farming heritage, you were from manufacturing, then the internet came around. And then like they talk about industry 4.0 and there's loads of stuff like the AI, big data, uh, social media's like huge, how it's transformed the world. What do you make of it? Are you kind of, are you like blown away by how quickly it's changing? Because it just seems like everything's changing at the moment. Well, I think you've got to go back to something like Churchill. <clears throat> I mean, and it's a simple statement. It wasn't really to do with uh, the technology we, we know, but Churchill was saying, if people could learn to live together, science would do the rest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was as simple as that. And I think this is all comes back down to science. And science is really blowing our minds now. Technology is developing so much. I mean, we know that COVID has sort of pushed this along. You know, we're on Zoom is like, uh, <clears throat> it's just anything now. Everybody does Zoom. It's as simple as that. You know, it's, it's been on, it's been there for years that you could do sort of have a, you know, have a sort of a virtual meeting by these ways, but it was also difficult. Now, no, everybody has a computer. Everybody uh, can do this. So <clears throat> we could, I mean, was talking yesterday. Who were we talking to yesterday? Oh, California, was it? <clears throat> Yeah, I think it was yesterday. I was talking to somebody in California. Yeah, yeah. yeah the guy you had to run out on. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. And, and he's talking about a new idea now for, for scouting. That is, uh, instead of people sort of, you know, when you want to sort of in, improve your team and you go and look for different players, instead of now going around and watching matches, they have this new platform. And it's, it's an operating system. 
And this operating yeah. system lets you go into any, pick up any player. Wow. You know, it actually picks up players and you can just watch yeah. that player. And that tag <clears> on their <throat> back as well. The tag yeah. on their back with all the data on their stats and stuff. It's... That's right. So all this now, they, they, uh, <clears throat> and then it works out the uh, logistics, all, all the details, all the data about, you know, age, whatever. And <clears throat> it, it even works out how much they're worth. Yes. <laughs> so it gives you a price. This is how much you should uh, spend. And, and even their, their persona, their personality type, if they're using Facebook and LinkedIn, they can tell, the bot can tell they're, they're this type of person. They're an extrovert. They're right. worth more because they're gregarious in public and they've got a brand. And that, that's crazy. There's, there's that, that human personality can be analyzed by bots now as well. It's, it's, it's nuts, if, you, if, you're on, if I'm perfectly honest, I think. <laughs> yeah, so when you think about it, when you think about sport, uh, you only need to take football itself and go back 50 years and look at the pitches, look at what they were playing on. Yes. Yeah. The, the football boots that they had, the big heavy leather kit boots sort of thing. And you look now, I mean, it's not the same game. You know, mm. They play on, on grass now, and it's always grass. And it's always the same thing. And, and it, it's just looked after. It never turns to mud. Yeah. So these guys can have lightweight boots. They, the ball itself, I mean, the ball itself is a bit like a balloon by comparison to what it used to be again, <laughs> yeah. 40 years back. You know, I mean, <clears throat> these guys are all worried now about heading the ball and how it's got to... You know, it, it affects them mentally. Uh, but yeah, those are the people who were heading a ball 30, 40 years ago. Today, heading a ball again is more like a balloon. It's, you know, I'm sure it's, uh, it's only a minute amount of sort of pressure that, he, that, that was on, on them today that it used to be on, on the guys 30, 40 years ago. <clears throat> so things have changed, except rugby. Rugby's still, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. The interesting thing in, in football and rugby, and you'll you'll like the analogy, I hope, is that you know rugby is that gentleman's sport played by ruffians in a way, and like I say, a Scotsman and an Englishman can talk about it quite gladly, right? The two of us. Football, you'd seen like there was more about rock and roll in places, but now you see like real influencers, ambassadors like Rashford coming through, Gareth oh. Southgate, Scott, you know, very driving a, a football club by values and purpose, and people that young people look up to and go, you know what, Marcus Rashford, what a phenomenal player he is. Right. Whereas, you know, like the Vinnie Jones era, it's more a bit more bad boy rock and roll, you know? Of course, yes. And, and, right. and those, their, their personal brands in their own right and using their influence in society to, to hopefully make it better, you'd hope. So I'd like to think that's kind of a positive. Yeah, well, I mean, through, uh, through television and through what we see today, videos, the whole thing. I mean, we, we now have influencers, just influencers. For whatever reason, either they, they sing or it's sexy, whatever it is, the way they dress, um, and it's incredible. But you know, this is changing everything now. It's all to do with influencing, whatever it is. You know, what are your influences? Why would you buy this car? Why would you do this? You know, um, and, and same with the uh, sort of Adidas or Nike. Would you buy Adidas or Nike? Or if uh, if Reebok brought another boot out, would you buy a Reebok boot? Well. It all depends how you become influenced and what do Reebok do? Do they take on a rash with it? I mean, that is spending a lot of money. Yes. You know, when, when, when Reebok really became big, it was because of the aerobics scene and the aerobics took off because there was nobody in aerobics. It was just women. 
But then, but then Jane Fonda, Jane Fonda was an influencer in a way, and, and you, oh, yes, yes. you kind of backed her, and it was kind of the same same sort of uh, psychology, if you like, of influencing buying behaviours. Is that is that fair to say? It's fair to say because it's always been there. <clears throat> and you, yeah. can, uh, you can go back to my grandfather who in 1904 got his three first uh, um, <clears throat> world records. Well, I- I'm sure he gave his shoes to the guy. I'm sure he didn't buy them. And many of his gold medals that they wore, he was giving shoes to people. Yes. And, uh, and, and this is influencing because mm. you put them on, you put them on somebody who, who, who wins a race, you, you, know, you put a, a, a bit of uh, thinking, well, those shoes may have done him good. You know, they, they certainly didn't do him any harm. Yes. If you can, can do that in those shoes, then maybe I can do it. And, and I think that applies to everything. It's a question of how, if you, if you can manage to get that influence in a sort of through the back doorway, it, that's better than obviously paying people and whatever it is, but paying people works. Yeah. You, yes. um, you see it with that. You see it with Tesco and Kellogg's, perhaps. Kellogg's is at your line of sight, you know, in, in all your big supermarkets. And it's they've paid the most money or, or, or got the brand affiliation with the big supermarkets in order to do that. They're providing the biggest bulk, et cetera. That's um, right. Oh, yeah, it's, it's all to do with uh, uh, persuasion, whether it's money or something else. It, it's to get yourself the right place. I know we used to do that with Reebok, you know. We used to have guys going around and saying, okay, you know, can we, uh, you know, move this on this this, this area, this, this would be a better area of shelves for Reebok. And what they did, they called it spiffing. Um, okay. spiffing, <laughs> spiffing is where the um, the salesman who actually sold a pair of, of, of Reebok would be would be paid 50 cents or whatever it is. He needed to do his market down. And, and so Reebok would pay these guys to sell the stuff. Mm. Yeah. So don't sell Nike, sell Reebok. So, wow. And, and, and all this comes from America, you know, these, these sort of different ways of uh, how, do you, how do you get your brand to be number one? How do you get people to buy? Well, you, you use persuasion one way or another. Yeah, and, and the guy the guy on the floor, if somebody comes in and says, you know, I want to buy running shoes, what do you recommend? Oh, Reebok, that's the best. Yeah, He's, yeah. Being, paid. He's being paid. <laughs> do you know? Do you know? Find the Americans are the best at selling. You know, they, you know, the kind of even selling the idea of what they do in business or what they do with culture. They sell it better than everyone else. Doesn't mean they're better than. It. They're just, but the sales certainly they are. Every tactic under the book in the book, you know, is kind of came from America. I think. Absolutely. <laughs> that's what, that's why I believe is same with our book. You know, the book we're trying to shoemaker is we've got to get it number one in America. If we get it number one in America. It'll sell for the rest of the world. Yeah, I'll, we'll be fine. I'll, I'll try my best to help you with that in any way I can. I think Gary Vaynerchuk will find influencers and we'll make sure they see that book. And uh, we talk it up. It's harder for you to talk up yourself, but I'll be your free promo man in Scotland. <laughs> there you go then. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah, That's what we're looking for. Yeah. Uh-huh. People like but, that. Talk, talk it up. That's right. But then there's there's compelling life lessons in there. You know, even the, that it's not easy. You know, it's not easy what you went through. <laughs> well, you know, you, you don't know when you're going through it, whether it's easier, it's hard. Mm. Because it's just one step after another, one step after another. It's when, you know, I can, I can now look back on it and kind of say, how did we do that? You know, why did, you know, could, could you jump on a plane now with, uh, without a mobile phone, without a connection, you know, and all I've got was some American traveler's checks. That's about it. You know, yeah. no credit card. Uh, and, and you're going off to some 
unknown country. Even even America was sort of place to go into. You go into America, okay, you know, they they're more gregarious and yeah, they you know they, they take you in easier, nicer, easier to chat to and do business with. And of course, roughly they speak the same language, which is always yes. The humor yeah. did you find did you find the humor was was lost in a bit, or did you have to adapt your humor for the American market, or did you like did your quirky sort of British way of being? It kind of that's what sold you in a way. Well, I, I, I don't know, really. I, I think the, you, you do get quite a lot of people who say, oh, you're from England. Like, you know, they, they do like that. I mean, even when uh, uh, in those early days, when I, you know, I've just broken into the market with Paul Feynman and we have the, uh, uh, we have the, the Starcrest as our logo. And it looked a bit like the Union Jack. And Paul Feynman said to me, Joe, why don't we use the Union Jack? You know, and immediately what comes to me are trade unions, problems, we're making stuff in Korea. <laughs> and I said, well, so we agreed. I said, look, we can, we can use this. It'd be, be great in America, I'm sure. And Paul Feynman said, well, everybody knows the Union Jack. Everybody in America knows the Union Jack. Yes. And like, okay, you know, they, they don't know the Starcrest. And he said, it's going to cost us millions to, to, to get people to know that. But everybody knows the and the Union Jack was fantastic for us. Wow, it really was. I mean, it was incredible that uh, we didn't have many point of sales, you know, to put in the shopkeepers' windows. We didn't have many of those things. But what they used to do, because we produced the shoe, the shoe had a Union Jack. That's two Union Jacks, uh, and then the box, the lid was a Union Jack. And wow. the shopkeepers, you know, the the retailers, since we had it, they used to put the shoe boxes in a pyramid. We used to build it up in a pyramid. So, and then they could put a shoe on each of the boxes as it went up to the top to the pyramid. So, and this caught on. So everybody, all the, all the retailers loved this, but it was a big pyramid or a small pyramid. Oh. And so you go around and you see the, all these Union Jacks. And, and then, then, and then so it's the bloodline, it's, it's bloodline as well. So every American will tell you, you know, my aunt's from Scotland, she's from Birmingham, you know, and it's like, right. there's always, you know, that affiliation with America, the UK, I guess, just through family ancestry, perhaps as much as anything, but. Well, that's right. Yeah, I mean, Paul yeah. Feynman is his ancestry is actually Italian, but uh, you know, most of the people there they're either Irish or they're you know, they're English or whatever it is, and uh, so so they know it. Oh, of course. I mean, we we burned the White House down, didn't we? At one point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, I, and I think there's that special relationship. So so they knew it, but so that became a, a wonderful sort of marketing tool mm. uh, that helped this thing to really really grow. And uh, yeah, you got to look at your luck. You know, the luck that we picked up on uh, Arnold Martin has picked up on the uh, aerobics. I mean, that was just fantastic because, okay, Reebok, we were just making our way nicely, by the way, in running, really nicely making our way in running. But only runners knew us, nobody else. Everybody knew Nike, everybody knew Adidas because they were into a basketball, baseball, or whatever it is. But when the women saw this and the pick up on it, suddenly the aer aerobics, we became a woman's shoe. You know, yes. we became this nice, beautiful, you know, Adidas, Nike, they're, they're male, they're sweaty, they're, they're whatever, you know, but this was for women. So uh, <clears throat> you, know, you, you add these things together, which are the accident of time, you know, good luck that these things are happening. So, you, you, you know, it's like when you get that luck, it adds to whatever whatever skills you may have. Maybe we made a good shoe. 
Yes. <laughs> but apart from making a good shoe, because they say anybody can make a good shoe. It's a question of hitting the right notes at the right time and something happening. It happened to be in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's Hollywood, the whole thing. So we just exploded as, you know, as it, we were number one. And we was, it, number one. was it overwhelming at the time when you exploded? You know, it's kind of, you know, you, you, you had that sense that, you know, we've made it. Did you, were you lying awake at night thinking this is it? This is what we expected? Or is it kind of just a bit more relaxed than that? Well, for me, we, for me, we'd made it when we got our five-star running shoe. In, in yes, Zero. Runner's World. That, that for me was the number one. That, that wow, we're here. Now it's just a matter of um, being able to supply, being able to, you know, build on that market. The fact that uh, aerobics came along and then gave it that, extra boost it was like putting us up putting a rocket underneath what was already a rocket you know we were going, Actually, thank you and then all of a sudden you get this booster and uh, and it, it happened so fast and we were we were running to keep up you know it was incredible you didn't really feel that uh, this was incredible you know it's it's, it's, it's happening and mm. and it's only when you when when you look back and i know the other when we became number one you know we We'd beaten Adidas. We were doing better than Adidas. We were doing better than Nike. And we, it was um, more or less a paper rather than a magazine. It came out with Sports Goods Intelligence. And uh, they, they were sort of telling everybody who was doing this. Who was that. And, and they, we became Numa Uno. That's what we, we, they gave us the title of Numa Uno. And uh, I don't know what they called uh, Adidas. I can't remember now. But certainly Nike were called the Eager Beavertons. And <laughs> so, <clears throat> but we were number one. Uh, certainly, when, when I left there at the end of 1989, you know, we'd got to number one. And I, I guess really the business, uh, so the, the demand was running the business, you know. Yes. It wasn't a question like saying, right, how do we build this business? It was a question, how do we keep up with the demand? Because once the women started it, that was it, you know, it went global and just women just wanted the shoes. And, mm. Uh, Adidas and Nike had stood back saying, well, you know, this is just a craze. <clears throat> yeah, it's just something that's going to happen. It's, uh, it won't last very long. It's not really sport, but it took the sports market. Yes. And, and we were able to go into soccer and, and into tennis. I think we went into tennis. So that was our second one. I sport. Have you read the shoe dog? I, I can have it was yes, on a list of books. Dog, yeah. I didn't get to it myself, but is it not? They were seen as like the elite brand, and it's for like the top, the top sports people. Whereas Reebok was for everybody. It was for women. It was for you know men. It was for all, all shapes and sizes. Whereas Nike was very elite and and sort of professional look and feel to it. And Reebok's well, we're a everybody company that you know is there for aerobics as well as your your runners. A clever sort yeah. of tactic. Yeah, I mean, I think what happened once the uh, once the women started to take Reebok, of course, the thing is that men were looking at this, and you know, men were saying, "We want a bit of that." You know, <laughs> you know oh yes, why can't we have that? So, so it did, and and it, and it crossed over onto street. You know, we we became the shoe you would travel in. Everybody, no matter what shape or size you were, you'd buy a pair of Reeboks when you were going anywhere in the world. And, you know, so many people were wearing Reeboks, they're flying around and whatever. And uh, oh yeah, we had a, a fantastic. Day. Uh, I mean, it was sixty percent of all Americans had a pair of uh, Reebok during the during the eighties and early nineties. Wow. I mean, sixty percent is, is is a big, 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 big number. You know, that is something, <clears throat> and it's trying to latch onto that again with the book. Trying to yes. bring because these people now they might be thirty years older, but now they've got a ton of money and a good memory, 
And yes. the other yeah. ones, I like I like yeah. the life lessons in family history and and um, you know how I, 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 you know the generations of business can be passed down to the next generation. They kind of sit back and you know, go to the pub type thing, whereas you're the next generation that came in. It's like we've got ideas, we've got energy, we want to make more of this. And that, that story of the initial stories of how you and your brother, there was a wee bit of friction and things in the family, and you just you did your own thing. And and then eventually you look back and go, you know, the other thing about history of Reebok, it's us, it's the foster brand, it's and you're taking all the lessons from your grandfather as well. So there's so many things you can learn about the story of Reebok and your your life about business, you know, it's phenomenal. You're listening to Mostly Talk. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a review? Thanks for listening. Now, back to it. Well, I think that um, we used to look at um, Wikipedia and other things. Articles used to come up about where did Reebok come from? We came from this place, that place. We came from all over the place. And and quite a few sort of said, well, it was J.D. Foster that changed its name. You know, and you're thinking, I'm pretty sure that people would be would be happier to know the full story instead yes. of all the different things. So, so that, I mean, apart from a lot of people saying, why don't you write your story? You know, you, you think, ah, well, who's going to be interested in that? But then I thought, well, why don't, well, why don't we put the sort of, get it straight? The story's got to be straight. There are so many different stories. And, of course, the bigger we grew, the more the stories grew. And, hmm. and so... So uh, <clears throat> this is one of the motivators was to, well, let's go back. And since I'd learned a lot about grandfather and what he'd, uh, what he'd done, I thought, well, you know, th- this is good because it does become a family heritage. In fact, we used to put on the inside of the shoe, um, the label. I, it was sort of, we called it the athlete's shoe. The athlete's shoe, and it's from a tradition of over, I think when we started this, over 70 years. So, um we're looking back to probably 1970s, 1980s, over 70 years. Now it's over 100 years. <laughs> wow. uh, from a tradition of over 100 years, <clears throat> you know, these shoes are made for performance, blah, 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 blah. I forget what the, the extra wording was. But that used to be on the inside of every shoe. Mm. And, you know, and those are the things that people just read and, and it sticks. Uh, yes. So it's, it's part of it. So it was the heritage. <clears throat> and uh, so I thought, well, let's get this down. And... Uh, I think somewhere around here, it may happen. We, we've been near to it once, and that's actually producing a founder's product. Mm. Been quite near to it, but with Adidas, we're not quite so keen to have a Reebok founder's product. Maybe because they'd lost their founder some time ago, so so they couldn't be founder's product. But uh, <clears throat> I mean, the idea there was to have a little bit of a a, a nod to J.D. Foster's, whatever it is. Uh, they, they used to have uh, a lizard skin striped mm. down the side, so maybe a piece of lizard uh, somewhere. Just a little nod to the uh, to the history of the brand, and then yes. I, I would put hang tags on with with these uh, these quotes that JD, that grandfather had done in the paper. These little things like Foster's, you know, these are the best shoes you've ever worn. Or, you know, yes. these were worn by, but, but, yeah, <clears throat> and put a date to it, and just put this little hang tag on. So. So just as other, well, that's a bit of history, you know, and we can put that on and read the book sort of thing. <laughs> it's quite, you know, like British people are, are typically, you know, we're a very humble sort and we don't sing our praises where the Americans do, you know, they're very, you know, whoop, whoop, you know, mm-hmm. we're the, we're the best running shoe. And it's kind of, it's kind of a, a weird trait for your grandfather to adopt that mentality, but it helped, obviously. It helped oh. sales. 
Wow, yeah. it was incredible. I mean, fantastic to read read through them. And as it said, there must be a hundred pages or more of these uh, adverts that he used to put in. There. And, uh, and do you know where that trait in him came from? Because he's been through, I guess, a hard time with uh, various wars and stuff. And it would be <clears> right. And it was kind of a different, you know, that sort of um, stiff off our lip, keep your head down and get on with it type thing. That's it's kind of a different strategy uh, coming at it from we are the best. It's, it's like I say, it's that sort of American way of being almost, would you say? Well, I, I would, and I, I don't know where he picked that up but up from, whether he used to send shoes all over the world, mainly yeah. to the Commonwealth countries, because uh, a, a lot of the results of racism, whatever, Athletics Weekly has been going a long time, and they used to send them to Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and quite a lot to Africa as well. Wow. Uh, South Africa. So it's quite amazing what the Commonwealth did in terms of spreading the word. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> and I know they used to bring over, I've forgotten his name now, they used to bring over runners from America. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there's a, <clears throat> I do have an article that, um, that my grandfather wrote, and he said that, that Bolton United Harriers then were making a lot of money and uh, they were doing very well. So they, they brought over this American to compete in this event and the whole thing got washed out. Rain, I guess, yeah. <laughs> and they lost a lot of money. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. And, and they, they did it again a second time and again they got washed out and it nearly put the club out of business altogether. Uh-huh. And I think, had it not been for grandfather and sort of him supporting it, yeah. I think Bolton United Harriers would have just gone under. <laughs> but they didn't do it again. But he, he brought this uh, American across <clears throat> which must have cost quite a lot of money in those days. He, when you think about it, you know, it's, a, it's over a week sailing, so, so it's probably yes. two, two weeks to get here, two weeks to get back, um, plus whatever they're paying for uh, uh, attending. So mm. quite, quite a you, lot of money. You've seen it's not quite similar, but the, when uh, Usain Bolt came over to the UK for, I think, would it be the... The Olympics, and it was like he didn't like the weather either. He didn't like the weather either. It was quite right. different than Jamaican running conditions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's funny that because we've just, uh, um, we're part of a golden nugget. I don't know if you've heard of a golden nugget, it's a, it's a platform. <clears throat> and, well, you're just saying, have we not introduced you to a golden nugget? There was people that connected perhaps, but yeah. I didn't. Uh, there was one chap, was he a Foster as well? Was it? There was yeah. Another, yeah, Stephen Foster. Stephen yeah. Foster. I spoke to him briefly and then he was, his phone died, so I haven't had a chance to get, get back in touch with him. Um, right, right. One of these technology right. things, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But the, uh, the thing about the, the Jamaican ring was is that uh, the, the guy who, do you, do you remember the Jamaican uh, bobsleigh team? Yes, of course, yeah, Cool Runnings, yeah. Yeah, well, the guy who sort of you know the guy who was in that, um, Devin Devin Harris, he's he he was invited. He's part of Golden Nugget, and he came on about about two or three weeks ago now, and you know do the Q and A. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so so that was great, like you know to get um, uh, to get Dennis sort of uh, view on this one. In fact, he is now um, you know. He does interviews and he makes his money by being a, a speaker and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he was part of the army. He, he actually was an officer. He, mm. he trained at Sandhurst, of all places. So uh, oh. quite, quite a clever guy. 
And, <clears throat> but a very interesting story. And, and in fact, we're now, uh, we're just inviting uh, Peter, Peter Moore. I don't know if you know Peter Moore, but he, 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 was, uh, he used to work for Reebok and he was CEO of what, A? A, A, A. A sport. They, they made a lot of games. Okay. The, the games in California. They're the gaming people. And he's CEO of that. And then until last year, he came over and he became, uh, is it president? Chairman. Chairman, chairman of uh, Liverpool Football Club. Wow, okay. So he was chairman of Liverpool when, when they actually won everything. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of that, he just said, well, no, I'm going back. Because whilst he's a scouser himself, he lives in California. Yes. <laughs> so he decided he'd had enough of the UK again, and he'd gone back to California. And so we've just invited him now to, to join Golden Nugget. Oh, wow. So it'd be interesting when he comes on, he'd, he'd give us his uh, story about, you know, his bit through Reebok. I think he worked for Microsoft as well. Wow. So he spent okay, some wow. time with Microsoft, and then with yeah. AE Sports, he was CEO of that. And then, then as he said, his dream job was doing Liverpool, <laughs> being there as chairman of Liverpool. So... Uh, who'd, who'd you, who'd you favour at a Liverpool-Manchester United game? Who'd you, did you sit on the fence or what did you do? Well, I mean, uh, they're, they're very interesting ones, aren't they? You know, yeah. It's like, who will win? Uh, and Liverpool just seemed to have sort of cooled off a bit. I think something, you know, maybe, maybe they're playing too many games now for them. You know, a few injuries, a bit of like not giving the time in between. But Liverpool certainly will not be, will not be champions this year. I think that's for mm. City this time. I think City are going there. <clears throat> and surprisingly enough, Man United have always been written off, even with Solskjaer. They've sort of you know, not really thought he's, but then, it, then they become, you know, they, they get to the top of the league. And even now, they're number two. So I think they've got to consider the fact that uh, they're getting it right. Yes. Yeah. Again. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. It's kind, of, it's kind of sad to see that it's such a rapid decline, but it was to be expected after Sir, Sir Alex went, I suppose, that it's kind of inevitable. But... Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I think people have to get used to a, a new way, a new regime, a new... Uh, and and they've, got to, they've got to buy into that. And you can be winning all the time. It's not, you know, you've got to give other fans a, a chance, you know, with Leicester City or other ones, you know, that did well out of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what surprises me is you, you look at uh, Scotland, you know, yeah. Celtic and Rangers. <clears throat> I mean, Celtic were there forever. Hmm. Boringly so. Yes. Celtic, that was it. All of a sudden, Rangers challenged them. And then Rangers are there. But yes. the thing is... You, Okay, Rangers are there because okay, they've got a good team and you know Gerard's doing a good job and whatever. But what's happened to Celtic? Celtic have suddenly <laughs> just gone from you know <laughs> they've all of a sudden lost it. So you think, wow. But know, even is it the other teams that have got sort of bah, they can be beaten? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so we're going to beat them. See, it's quite it's quite amazing, really. You, you try and analyze these things, but like I say. Who wants one at the top all the time, and, and you don't? And even just the you know you're on the treadmill of life, and you're you're going at it hammer and tongue, and you don't get time to reflect and go, well, why are we losing? <laughs> and before you know it, you've lost, you know, okay. five on the hop. You know, you're, so uh, yeah, it's interesting. It, it kind of does a lot for this city, obviously the Rangers Celtic thing, which we probably won't go into. But <laughs> you know, I don't know. It'll maybe change yeah. in time. Or I don't. Know, I, I do. I do think that you know, even the way that 
fans and stuff at football matches, they've got to behave now because there's bloody cameras everywhere and and you can ban people for life and stuff and and you don't all that sort of violence and and the fact that fans are segregated and in some ways it makes it like an amphitheater where gladiators are fighting, competing. But mm. in other ways, I don't know if it's if it's healthy, you know, the rivalry and it's fueled and it's aggravated to sell tickets ultimately, you know. Yeah, I don't think you'll ever change that though. No. Uh, I, I think it's very much gladiators and I think it's very much tribal. And uh, mm. this is it, you know, if you're a Rangers fan, you will never support Celtic. Yes. End of story. You will never do that. And it's the same in Manchester. If you're a City fan, you'll never support United and United. You do you do see it's more civil. Like there's a butcher along the way, and it's um it's Rangers, it's owned by a Rangers family, so it's five brothers that all work in the butcher shop. Right. So you can imagine you know, the banter and 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 you're know, more open about saying they're you know, I, I guess they probably always were, but their Celtic fans would come in and it's it's humor now as opposed to maybe before it's a bit more aggressive. I, I don't know. I wasn't there back in the you know the industrial times, but um I, I think I think the aggression is very small. It it's much it seems to be much bigger than it is. You know, a, a, a small percentage of the fans will sort of decide that it's time for a fight and they arrange a fight. But this is only small. The rest of it is still tribal, but they yes. have they have the humour. And like yes. I say, the butcher shop is is more humour than somebody coming in with a cleaver and hitting the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that, that well, Millwall no. territory, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. But I, I find the analogy in, in boxing. I, my dad was a big boxing fan. Or he liked Muhammad Ali. And then so I, I latched onto that and I, I'd kind of watched the heavyweight greats over the time. But you see in behind the scenes, it's almost like WWF. They're they're probably friends behind the scenes, but in public, it's you calling each other names to, to increase the box office sales. It's drama, it's theatre, it's entertainment, you know? <clears throat> that's what it has to be isn't it I mean this, this is it it's, it it's all it's all what doesn't go on in the boxing ring that yes. makes that makes it interesting yes you know, what goes on in the boxing ring is usually a, uh, it's probably a bit of a letdown really on the actual on, on, on the uh, should we say what people's consciousness has uh, people thinking you know oh, this is family funnily enough we nearly sold the property to uh, Tyson Fury oh wow he came round to look at our property when we were living in uh, Silverdale. And uh, they climbed over the wall, actually. And, <laughs> and, <they came laughs> and, and I took Tyson Fury and his wife around looking at this. It was 22 acres of land, wow. you know, a lot of land, and three different properties on it. And, and Julie looked after the kids <laughs> whilst I took, the, <laughs> I took them round to look at the property. He's some man, though, isn't he? His hands, like his hands must be twice the size of mine. I, well, he didn't seem that big to me, but he seems bigger now. Yeah. I think he was put a lot of weight on since the... Uh, since when, when was this? Was this back in back in a good few years ago? Or? Give me a year there. It would be 20... Start off with 20. 2013. 2013. Okay, well. Could have been 12 or 13. Yeah, 2012, 13. So, and did uh, you have much chat with him? Was he kind of... Uh, yeah, stories and stuff, or was it kind of quite? Oh, we didn't. We didn't chat. No, there were not sort of any boxing stories in it. That was more or less talking about the building and uh, you know whether he, he was more concerned. His wife loved it. His wife loved it. What was she called? Paris. 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 Yeah. Paris. She loved it, <clears throat> but he was he was more concerned on twenty acres 
how, how much time that would take and money that would take to, to sort of, you know, improve it, change it, or even just maintain it. Mm. You know, we found it, uh, unless, unless, it's, unless it was part of a business, we had it as part of a business. Uh, as part of a business, fine, you employ people and that, that makes it work. But if it's not part of a business, it, uh, you know, you need at least, at least two sort of uh, gardeners, sort of housekeepers and whatever, um, you get on a regular basis just to keep it uh, <clears throat> to keep it reasonable. So I think he was a bit concerned that uh, there was too much of that. You know, he didn't really want to be involved in that much. Yes. But she loved it. She loved the idea. But yeah. it, it didn't materialise. Yeah, I met him actually. You came to Glen Eagles. He's in Scotland. So I made a point of uh, going to see him. You can you can find out where people are now because of the bloody social media stuff. One of my friends drove me there and we we had uh, yeah, maybe 10 minutes with him in the reception and chatted away to him. Mm. But he's, he's quite a champion for men's mental health. You know, there's obviously loads right. of stuff that he gets up to nonsense wise. But, you know, I, I think it's quite admirable what he does, you know, talking more openly about mental health, particularly now because a lot of people are suffering. You know, there's lots of right. lots of uh, difficult times had in <laughs> all over the world, you know. That's uh, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he had a tough time himself. I mean, he went through that. Yeah. Yes, um, but he came out the other side, and of course he's he's now well, he's a world champion in, in one of the belts anyway. Yeah, yeah. which is which is brilliant. Yes, but as I say, for me he didn't seem that big. But whether that was just something, I don't know. In 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 a woodland area sort of thing, he just didn't seem. Yeah, <laughs> he, was nice, he was a nice enough guy though. We you know, in terms of um, a conversation about the building and. Yes. He talks about in his book how, you know, after he beat Klitschko. Right. Just just the mental health side. It's like you're you you achieved everything you ever wanted to in life. You became heavyweight champion of the world in such a dramatic fashion. And then afterwards it's like, well, what what now? It's a void, you know. Could yeah. you relate you when you when you beat Nike, was there anything of that? Or was it very much you were just on this crest of a wave and you're away? I think the crest of the wave was more or less it. Yes. It was like yes. you had a job to do. <clears throat> yeah, it was like, wow, nothing could stop us. You know, we were indefeatable at that point. That was it. We were going and everything was going fantastic. Yes. And, you know, but uh, yeah, and that was the time for me to get out. You know, as far as I was concerned, it was, uh, it's a big company now. You know, it doesn't, doesn't require that individualism that, uh, you know, that we had with Reebok in its early days. It requires those individual pushes and you, you, know, you feel everything. You feel all the problems. How many people uh, were employed when you left? Was that how many were you? I have, I have no idea. Oh, yeah. no, I have no idea how many. I, it's, uh, that was not my area. You know, that area belongs to uh, legal and uh, accounting. You know, those, those yes. are people who say, well, you know, we're making this much money and we, we've got to have that many people per so many millions. You know, it's, it's like, uh, <clears throat> you know, they work out all these. Uh, more or less statistical facts. It's working on facts and working on this. You, you shouldn't have more people. And I don't know how much it is that uh, you've got to have a revenue, so much revenue for so many people. And uh, so, you know, I mean, for me, it was like, what job do we need doing and who's best for doing the job? And yes. Yeah. You know, I'm talking ones and twos. And, you know, by the time you get to that big, you know, it's <clears throat> too big for me. I, I always find that. Oh, from my studies of, of organizations like um, tech companies, what they've done in order to, in changing 
uh, organizational structures. So right. because you were in manufacturing, it was kind of very much Taylorism's days of you have a whole lot of people in production and then you have managers and you have layers and you get this big pyramid of people. Uh, yeah. uh, Joe Foster at the top, obviously, uh, when you're uh, in your time. But now because of technology, it's like people are networked, they're connected. So you have, and different industries, service sector, for example, and you want to give people autonomy and, and feel like they're they're in control of their own lives and give them allow them to be creative very true yes and 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 whereas i guess in shoe manufacturing you had one part of a shoe to make and and really you just had to be consistent and 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 it, it kind of um particularly from a manufacturing perspective but now there's so much changes in industry of like amazon said that they want you to be able to click and order something online and then not one human intervenes to the point that's delivered to your door by drones and autonomous vehicles right, right. <laughs> so there's, there's this book um, by daniel suskind an, an economist it's yeah. called the world without work so mm -hmm. the premise is that it was 80 percent of ag uh, people were employed in agriculture so that's you know industry 1.1 uh, or 1.0 sorry then it was 80 percent in heavy industry and manufacturing so that would be you know, fostered early days of foster manufacturing, heavy shipping industries, etc., all sorts. And then it became the service industry because of IT and infrastructure increases, um, and 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 the internet, etc. Service industry was the third generation, and then now they're talking about the fourth generation, which is all AI. And it's it's like how do people find meaning in life when they can't find a job? You know, it's it's mind blowing. I think. Yeah, well, that's where sport comes in, isn't it? Yes. <clears throat> that's where the participation and the, uh, you know, even the spectators' participation. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, and that is why ever since I've been in business, <clears throat> sport has always grown. We never went through any problem, period. You know, nothing happened to us. Um, <clears throat> wow. You know, things might be going wrong and whatever, and, uh, but sport, we just continued. Just grow and grow and grow. Um, and do you think, even, even though you've thought about all this stuff long and hard, I guess, but like this time has been kind of unique in that sport had to pause for a while, right? There was no sport. And I guess the money coming into sport was hard and, and clubs must suffer so much, so much because of that. Well, I think COVID has definitely uh, been the first time that I've seen sport suffer. But sport has also gained because that is now the one thing that people are really wanting they're looking at it so the uh, <clears throat> you know what supports sport really is sponsorship yes yeah the the only thing they don't have now is uh, is through the turnstile you know the money coming in through the turnstiles but now all those seats are covered by big sponsorships and, and whatever so business has to keep going so business has to keep its name in front okay yes a lot of businesses are losing money but anyway that's calculated now against the time that covid is doing whatever and, and the people who are left at the end of covid they're the ones who will gain you know they're the ones that will still be there and uh, they will have the business <clears throat> but uh, no, i think sport of all things okay you know a lot of recreation and uh, uh should we say entertainment industry that, that really has gone down but sport you know the only thing they've got back on television now is sport yes sport is back on television um, you know, that, that's the only thing. Everything else has been made or it's a rehash or whatever. But, uh, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of sport. So, 
Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I think that's where, where we're going. And I, I must admit that uh, technology, going back to Churchill and science, um, technology has now been, well, I think it's probably gained 10 years in terms of, you know, where we are today with things like Zoom. You know, it's now changed so much. And will people go back to the office? To an extent, yes, but to an extent, maybe no. Maybe it'll be a different office. It won't be turning up at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning and waiting until the bell goes at five o'clock and mm. off you go home. And that, you know, that concept of presenteeism, like you're, you're, I've been in big companies before where you're sitting there and you hate your life. You've got 40 hours a week. You go into this you know, open plan office there's no soul to it. Everyone's institutionalized. They're just there for the paycheck. You know, it's in oil and gas, so quite well paid. Everyone was miserable. No one was speaking to each other. There's no creativity. You're just cranking the handle on a report and get it done. Yep. Whereas, whereas now it's like the concept of, of, of you know, getting the best out of people, empowering people to have fun, uh, empowering people to find purpose, empowering people to be their best self, you know, the improver mentality that you have. There's this concept called total motivation and you have all these things and you've always had them is play, you know, a sense of fun in your work. Like not everyone finds what you do fun, right? I guess right. some people would rather stare at a computer screen and do maths or whatever, or be in finance, etc. Uh, purpose. You had a purpose in a way that you brought sports to people. You know, you improve people's lives through athletics, etc. Uh, so you had a purpose in that. Uh, uh, potential, you know, your people who play sport, they develop, they improve, they get new PBs, you know, so that's a real motivator in life. And then the indirect motivators are economic pressure. So as if you have, if you have 40,000 pounds a year and you're spending 45, then there's an economic pressure on you uh, in Ooh. terms of that. So that's one thing that people need to, to work out how to avoid. The other one is emotional pressure. If you're handed the family business, and you're told, do it the way you've always done it, and you just say, yes, dad, and you always do it, then there's an emotional pressure there for you to, to run that business the way your dad wanted you to, and you're not happy, you're not fulfilled, but it motivates you. And then the final one was inertia, because in a way you've always, you were with Reebok for so long, you had so much inertia behind you, uh, it kind of motivated you, you just kept going. Uh, but some people are doing something that they don't like, and there's so much inertia behind them that they can't stop doing it. And they wake up at 60 going, well, what the hell did I do with my life? Exactly. Yes. And it's, it's fascinating, like all the science behind all the motivational theories. It kind of all relates back to how you make, make people's lives fun and, and make, give people meaning, et cetera. It's, it's something I'm, I'm kind of fixated by because that's what I've tried to be doing with my consultancy in a way. But, yeah. But it, I mean, it's, so, it's so essential in life. If, you, if you're getting up every morning and going to something which is just boring you're picking up a, a paycheck um, okay that sustains an awful lot of life but you know are you living and mm -hmm. and, I, and i think the important thing is that you, you've got to enjoy it uh, and, you, and you've got to keep on looking around and, and looking at well <clears throat> what is it I'm, I'm doing wrong because I, I don't enjoy it well maybe you're just looking at sus sustaining life that that's all you're doing yes you're, you know you, you need to go to the supermarket you need to get food uh, you know you need to have, you know, when, when we finished national service, Jeff and I, <clears throat> you know, we had friendships. You know, you, you, a, lot of, a lot of people coming together, usually through the church in those days, 
there, there, all the social scene went on. They had dances, they had badminton, they had uh, scouts and whatever. So your lives sort of revolved around the church and you met your people, friends and whatever it was. You did two years national service and you came back. Uh, half of the people have been before you. Some of the people hadn't gone. But you, so you came back to really, which was a, a different social scene. <clears throat> it had all been distracted, disturbed, and you came back. And one of them we came back is that you, you were looking around for your old friends and whatever. You'd find one of the girls, maybe that's the girl you were going out with, and then you would just get married, mm. have children, <clears throat> and pick up a job. Because in those days, in the, uh, say, the early 60s, yeah, there were plenty of jobs to, to go to manual jobs in those days. Now they're, they're disappearing, as we know. Yes. But that's how it used to be. Now it's changed. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah, like you say, were you, were you doing a job that you enjoyed? Or were you just waiting until you got home at night and then you could enjoy whatever pleasures you had with the family? Um, or what used to happen, they used to go out to the boozer, go to the pub, maybe yeah. play the darts uh, and whatever. Um, but that was sort of the, the men did that. The women stayed at home with the children. But then it's not it's not good for society either because if you've got forty hours a week and you're miserable, then you go home. There's a high chance you make your wife wife miserable. There's a high chance that you know she makes you miserable. You know, there's a high chance your kids got brought up dysfunctional because you're a miserable parent who's not engaged. You're worrying about well, how the hell am I getting out of this situation? Right. And you you procrastinate for the next ten years of your life. And then your kids are all of a sudden, they're no longer in the nest. They're gone. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's crazy yeah. how work is so influential in people's lives, because if you're not having fun in the 40 hours a week, there's a high chance you're either drinking a hell of a lot to forget about it when you're out of it <laughs> or, uh, or, or just miserable. And it's, it's kind of, it's important, you know, but I think again, the Americans, I think they caught on to that in many respects. They sell it certainly any well, any yeah. in, in yes. very good way, but yeah. But, uh, and what's what's next? So your your book is it is it selling well? Is your publisher doing doing good by you? It, it's doing all right. But what we find out with the publisher is the publisher puts about two or three months behind the job, and then he just disappears. Yeah. Uh -huh. <clears throat> so so we we needing to do some work ourselves to get this uh, get this going again. Get really get it going. You know whether I mean sales. You know. Surprisingly enough, a lot of people come out of the woodwork. A lot of people like we're having so many Zooms or meeting so many new people. Yeah. And, and, and so this is very interesting in life. It, you know, it, it's brought something else. The book has brought that out. And, uh, and that's good. You know, it's nice to do that. But <clears throat> I, I think the ambition is still, if you write a book, you want people to read it. There's not much point say, in saying well, what the book there is, is on the shelf. You, know, you see, uh, like 80% of books ever published, this will impress you. 80% of books ever published never get read, would you believe? Oh, yeah. Would you, would you do an audio book? Would you ever thought about that? This is, it's done. Audio's already done. Oh, wow. Perfect. Uh -huh. Yeah. It, it's already there. Um, <laughs> that was funny because the, 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 the publisher, of course, uh, did the audio and did all the other bits and pieces that they do. They did the Kindle. Um, and on the audio, they, they sent us a few sort of examples of uh, people <clears throat> reading the book. And of course, with us being from the north of England and uh, a northern accent, they thought would be great. Mm. <clears throat> so they, they sent this, uh, these examples up and this guy's reading this book in this wonderful, lovely Yorkshire accent. 
and we're thinking, no. Oh. <laughs> you know, I Julie says like a Hovis advert, you know. It was, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, it was awful. Because um, we went back and said, look, um, a Northern accent is going to appreciate what you're doing, but really, you know, it's a Lancashire company. To put a Yorkshire accent on would be, we, we love his accent, but not for us. But then again, you know, we, we're global. You know, we, we reckon that we're, we're Amer- an American accent is probably even better than that because we're global. You know, this is, this is not just a local sort of book. This has got to, you know, be read everywhere and be understood. So if somebody is, is doing an, an audio, you know, we, we need them to be understood. And so they, they brought up two or three other people and, uh, and we, did, we did choose one. But yeah, it's out there now. And then the Americans, right? So we need to tap up more Americans. Like Gary Vaynerchuk, you've heard of him, right? Yeah, I have. Gary oh. Vaynerchuk, right? So Julie, Julie, Julie knows who he is and she's told me I don't. Okay, so we're going to get his, we're going to get your book in front of his fans. So anytime right. he posts something on LinkedIn, he might have 300,000 people see it within 24 right. hours, okay? So yeah. make sure there's a picture of me and you in the book on that feed as many times as possible in the next three months, okay? Okay. It costs nothing to do. It'll take five minutes and it'll allow maybe even me to meet him. I want to meet him. He's, he's quite inspiring. There you go. <laughs> right? Yes. So it'll be fun, right? And it'll just, it'll just be two Brits abroad. We'll go, and, uh, we'll go and wind up the Americans and see if they buy the book. Yeah, why not? I, honestly, <laughs> I honestly think whether it's the lesson on being an improver the lesson on uh, luck, you told me about that in the last call we had, just to, right. knowing what luck looks like, okay? Yeah. And having that mindset of being able to see luck. Uh, so that's another two. That's second key lesson. The third key lesson, I think, is about the generations of family businesses. I think it really fascinates me. Right. And how, and no disrespect to your dad, it was kind of like, he had it good and it's like, well, go to the pub, let's, let's chill out. That's right. You know? And yeah. I, maybe you'd be, if you're in his boots, maybe we'd be the same, you know? Uh, but and then the third one, you know, like traveling and what that what that did for you as a person. You got so much from your travels, obviously, and your stories and absolutely fun, fun, right? Yeah. And then I, I don't know, it's a sad, the sad twist of life as well. And and you know, obviously with Kay, and you say in the, the front of the book about Kay, and it's it's yeah. gonna everyone should be reminded of these things because sometimes you can go through life thinking nothing like that could ever happen to you, and you're a bulletproof, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. Sad, but. But I think you're such an inspiring person, to be honest, Joe. I think you're a great bloke. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I do. I, mean, I sincerely mean that. It's good. But uh, and uh, hopefully we can keep in touch. And okay, I'll, stop, I'll stop the recording there actually, and, and say thank you very much. And I've, I've enjoyed the podcast. It's been brilliant. Fantastic. Thank and thanks to Julie as well. It's nice to talk to you. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll we'll mostly talk. Uh, there's two things on the most talk podcast you might like is one uh, Gareth Southgate's best friend uh, he advised um, his name's Scotty Mills right. he's a marine I think he's the highest ranking uh, black marine in history UK history okay. uh, so he's he's coached thing in rugby team he's coached thing in football team uh, he helped Sir Clive Woodward become a knight and he's a great great guy I honestly think he's one of the most interesting people I've ever met there's also Caledonia Braves CEO so it's a football team in Glasgow right. that is embracing technology. It's using uh, phones to allow all the fans to vote on a periodic basis to stay engaged. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So instead good. of a board just saying this is the direction of travel for the club, the fans can have their say. Right. 
So at the weekend, it's like uh, there's a match coming up, Caledonia Braves versus, um, I can't remember, they're in Division 5 now in the in the Scottish Leagues. Right. But they, they brought over a load of French players uh, to, to build this team. And then it's a fascinating story. And then the CEO said, well, technology enables people to spectate from all over the world. Right. So we can give an app to the fans and fans can pay a subscription and then they can vote. So when it comes to the match day, do you want to pay £2.50 for a pie and bovril or £3.80? Right. And then the fans can go, well, £3.80 every time we want to support the club. Yeah. And then you see the stats. It's 70% of people said £3.80, 30% said £2.50. And then anything, whether it's a new signing or a new colour of football top, Right. And then you build a community. It's not just about the people who, t- who can turn up to match day. And, and so the CEO of this football club, he wants to take it to, to the old firm and, and beat the old firm one day. Right. <laughs> so he's got a few years ahead of him. But yes. And then the other one is the Strathclyde Sirens. Right. It said uh, the first, well, they, they helped mostly consulting get off the ground. So I'm kind of indebted to them in some ways. The CEO, right. yeah. Claire Nelson, She's the CEO of Netball Scotland and the Strathclyde Sirens. And believe it or not, they recently are sponsored by Nike, their kit. Right. So yeah. give it a couple of years, Joe, stick around and we'll get Reebok on their kit yet. Absolutely. Why not? Yes. <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> but she's a really she's a really inspiring female leader, you know, and she's done yeah. so much for sport in Scotland and, and things. So uh, she's, she got beaten by, uh, I think it was Manchester at the weekend, but they're okay. top in the Vitality yeah. League. But netball is quite a, a good sport. I I, my wife and her friends are fans. I, I tend not right. to have watched it much myself, but I, right. we did a bit of consulting work for them. So I, I kind of am faithful to promoting their brand. Of course, why not? Yes. But yeah. These are good influencers. They really are. They influence a lot of people in the right way. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It's good. But uh, we're going we're gonna to conquer America with your book yet, Joe? Of course we are. <laughs> absolutely and it's going to be fun That's it thing. will be fun I'm going to enjoy it I'll stop the recording there okay lovely it's always great to talk to Joe and uh, yeah anyone who's got that much experience it's really cool uh, next week we are talking to Claire English former BBC uh, radio presenter uh, she's a veteran of the BBC of at least 29 years and uh, we talked to her a bit about her life and her career and what you've been up to of late. Thanks for tuning in to Mostly Talk.